You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everybody, and thanks for downloading our show today. I have a terrific panel of young adult experts today to share with you information about how to engage young adults in the life of the church. I'm going to bring to you the campus ministry perspective, the diocesan perspective, the USCCB perspective, and even the young Catholic professionals perspective all of them bringing their great expertise and knowledge to this conversation today. We recorded this webinar as part of our four-part mini-series called Advancing Our Church Through Challenging Times. And we recorded the first one last week. We're going to have another one this week as I drop this episode around Catholic foundations. And so if you'd like to register for this webinar, please go to our show notes, click on the link, and it'll take you right over to our Changing Our World registration page where you can register for the webinar series. So I hope that you'll join us and we'll keep you up to date each week as we release a new webinar. I'm sorry that these podcasts have been just a little bit off schedule over the last few weeks, COVID-19 and just all kinds of things happening, as I'm sure that many of you are also just managing the day-to-day sometimes can get a little challenging, but uh, but we are on schedule, we are on track, and we are planning to continue to offer you great content that I hope is meaningful for you. I hope that it is uh, useful, and I hope that you'll share it with others uh, as you deem appropriate. So without further ado, here is our conversation on young adult ministry. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome, and uh, well, happy Ascension Thursday. We, When we scheduled this webinar, we didn't uh, remember or realize that it was Ascension Thursday, but happy feast day to everybody. We have a great panel, a great discussion planned for you uh, this morning. And uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. We do have an opportunity for you to type in comments. And so uh, if you could, if you'd like to do that, uh, we will certainly answer those questions as we go through uh, the discussion. And we'll save some time also at the end for any uh, questions that we didn't get to. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, I thought perhaps before I introduce our great panel that uh, we would just start with scripture. Uh, and today's scripture just seemed particularly relevant to our discussion. Uh, Jesus in the gospel today says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which seems most appropriate today as we talked about uh, the the uh, idea of evangelizing and engaging young adults. So before we begin, why don't we go ahead and start with prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask you to guide our conversation today. Help us to discern your will in all that we do. Help us to fulfill the promise of our baptism and use the gifts that we have received on the day of our confirmation to teach as Jesus did. And in a special way, we ask for your blessing on those young adults seeking you in this broken world. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Come on, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, what I'll do here is I'd like to uh, introduce our panelists. Uh, we'll start, and, and I'll just go ahead and introduce everybody, and then maybe we'll just go around the table and have everybody just say a few words about uh, who they are and maybe the organization that you represent. Some of our, our guests may be familiar with the organization, others may not. So uh, we'll start with Peter Blute. Peter is the Vice President for the National Organization of Young Catholic Professionals. Welcome, Peter. Uh, we have Paul Jarzembowski, who is the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries 
for the Secretariat of Lady, Marriage, Family, Life, and Youth for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Welcome, Paul. We have Nicole Perrone, who's the Archdiocesan Director of Adult Faith Formation for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Welcome, Nicole. And on the line today, you can't see him, but Father Ryan Lerner, who is the chaplain at St. Thomas More Chapel at Yale University. Welcome, Father Ryan. So, um, and we've had, and welcome back, Father Ryan, actually. We've had Father Ryan and the entire team of Yale University on the Advancing Our Church podcast. I guess I should introduce myself. Maybe we'll start there. My name is Jim Friend, and I'm the uh, I'm a managing director for Changing Our World. I'm also the host of the Advancing Our Church podcast. Uh, today's uh, broadcast is being recorded, so you'll have the opportunity to like and share that uh, in the video version. Here is also the uh, the audio version, which we release every week on the Advancing Our Church podcast. You can find that at advancingourchurch.com and you can find more information about changing our world at changingourworld.com. But why don't we start with Peter? Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about uh, the organization that you serve? Sure, thanks, Jim. It's great to be here with you all. So Young Catholic Professionals is a national organization where we're a chapter-based organization. So we help um, young professionals in their 20s and 30s, single and married, at all stages of their Catholic faith journey, from maybe those who have wandered away or left the faith to those who may be deeply engaged in the faith and looking for their next step. Um, and when we say professional, we're really talking about every single young person, profession as a vocation. Um, our patron saint is St. Joseph, so a simple carpenter. Um, so whether you're white collar, blue collar, unemployed, especially important these days, um, you have a place at YCP, and our mission is to help engage them in their faith so that they see their work through the lens of their faith, so that our faith permeates every component of our life, um, and we have a particular focus on bringing that into our work, understanding our work as um, an opportunity to serve as an offering. Um, so it's it's been really interesting. Um, our chapter model is driven entirely by volunteers, so we can get into that a little bit more. What that's been like, and and some of the findings that we've we've seen engaging with young professionals. Thank you, Peter. Paul, tell us a little bit about your work. Well, I think most people have probably heard of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, <laughs> kind of a pretty well-known organization in the Catholic Church. Um, but we are the Episcopal Conference of the U.S. Bishops. Um, and so, um, and my work in particular is um, being the liaison for the bishops for youth and young adults. Um, my job is to assist the bishops um, as they, in their diocese, and then on a national level, and even internationally, um, engage the topic of young people. Um, one of the things that I've been very excited to be a part of the last couple of years has been a synodal process that the Universal Church has undertaken to really explore young people and, and, and the needs of young people and how to best accompany young people. It was uh, it culminated in a document that Pope Francis recently wrote called Christus Vivit. And so my job was to accompany uh, the U.S. church through that process, uh, both into it and out of it. Um, and uh, my work right now is helping dioceses, helping Catholic organizations, helping parishes uh, implement what Pope Francis is calling us to a new framework for our ministry with youth and young adults. Wonderful, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And Nicole? Hi, I'm Nicole Perrone. I'm the Archdiocesan Director of Adult Faith Formation for the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut. In that role, I am responsible for the lay ministry formation in the Archdiocese, 
accompanying those who minister in RCIA and adult confirmation processes, directing our women's conference, and a lot of other responsibilities as needed. But one of my particular passions is the amplification of the voices of young adults in the life of the church. And so I've been very fortunate to get to examine that topic and advocate for them and uh, accompany my peers as a young adult. And one particular blessing was to be a delegate to the pre-synod in the synodal process that Paul referenced. Two years ago now, I was in Rome being part of that process, which is um, a really special memory. So I'm glad to be here to be part of this conversation. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for being here. And Father Ryan, we have you on the line, uh, the uh, chaplain for St. Thomas More Chapel at Yale. Tell us a little bit about your work for those who aren't familiar. Sure. So the St. Thomas More Catholic Chapel and Center at Yale, we were established uh, 82 years ago by a priest of the Archdiocese of Hartford, T. Lorison Riggs, because he felt that the um, caliber of students, the kind of people at Yale, were, had a, there was a special ministry that they needed to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ well beyond simply the catechism, but to be able to live in the world and, and, and knowing that they were going to touch every aspect of the world, that they were, he was, he had it in his heart, he wanted to do, them to do that as Catholic Christians. We're named for St. Thomas More, well-known uh, jurist and, and chancellor uh, under the realm of King Henry, the, Henry VIII and a martyr. His intelligence and discipline required him to achieve excellency, but because uh, what made him a saint was that he did this, lived well in the world, impacted the world in such a way, but as a Christian. So we strive after the, you know, I'm, I work with a few other chaplains, lay and religious, um, and we want our students to grow after the heart of St. Thomas More to experience the abundant life of Jesus Christ, as our pastor of many years, Father Bob Beloyne, had said, and that they might go out into the world and impact it in myriad ways and be leaders not only in society, but in our church. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. So why don't we go ahead and start the, the roundtable discussion here today. Uh, our first topic uh, our first question is, what are some of the challenges that you're hearing out in the field that young adults are, are facing today through quarantine? Obviously, there are spiritual challenges, there are professional challenges, a lot of avenues that we could discuss today. But what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your ministry? Well, one of the things that um, that we've been seeing nationally is that you know we're, we're called to social distancing, and which has really put a little bit of a, of a challenge to many young adults who are themselves, many of them have, even before this pandemic, were struggling with isolation and loneliness to degrees that previous generations perhaps had not quite experienced it in such a way. So add to it a social distancing component, add to it a quarantine component, and loneliness and mental, uh, mental uh, health issues, isolation, that, that those feelings uh, just get amplified even further, and then add to it a little bit of the anxiety and fear. This is a generation that, at 10, 20 years ago, um, you know, was was birthed through the the, the experience of 9/11 and the and the terrorist attacks, and so they're a generation that was born in a fearful experience. And so this, once again, that anxiety is rising to the surface um, through this, not knowing the uncertainty of what's going on, and of course the economic uncertainty. Um, young adults have always been kind of on that cusp, you know, first one's in, first one's out kind of thing. So there is a, um, there's an economic instability that sometimes is just naturally there in young adulthood. Now add to it a component that this, 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 the anxiety of, will I have a job? I don't have a job. Where is that going? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff stirring up nationally that we're seeing um, with young adults. Yeah. And just to, to build on that, Paul, um, you know, with the, what is it now, 36 million people that have filed for unemployment, I mean, by by some number crunching we did, we think it could be maybe as many as 10 million that are in that kind of 20 to 45 range. 
Uh, so there's a huge number of young people that are struggling right now. And take also the fact that this generation has the highest debt coming out of college. I mean, I know just qualitatively kind of over the years talking to to just my my friends and the people that I interact with that are in this age range, um, a lot of them are are living paycheck to paycheck, or there's a very slim margin. And so suddenly you throw a layoff or even just a decrease in salary or benefits. And it becomes a very, very stressful situation to your point, Paul, on top of being completely isolated in the midst of that. So you can't rely on the normal avenues where, you know, you normally have your get together weekly with friends where you go out to a happy hour or you're, you know, for those that maybe are, are doing small group sessions or something in the parish level with young adult groups. I mean, those people have have nothing and they don't even have their work atmosphere anymore because the world has gone virtual. So I think it just compounds all of the challenges that this particular subset of people are experiencing right now. I agree. I think what Paul and Peter are pointing to here is this impact on transitional moments that young people experience in a in a greater fashion. When we think about the stages of young adulthood, um, they're just rife with these major moments of transition that maybe when we're looking back don't seem like that big a deal, right? Oh, you miss sitting through your college graduation, sweating for three hours listening to a speaker. But the reality is that for young adults, those moments are everything, right? That is what you have been building up to. That is the, the key moment of that stage of your life. So where you see young adults missing their college graduation or perhaps looking for their first full-time job after high school or college, and that's being impacted, as we've already alluded to, um, weddings, baptisms of children, all these big life moments that happen in that stage of 20s and 30s um, are being totally decimated. And so you have an economic impact, you have a spiritual impact, you have an emotional impact. And the great gift of that is that the church can be prepared to accompany people through that and and especially assist young adults in their grief, helping them grieve through that and how to manage that in a way that can sanctify that experience. Yeah, when you when you talk about graduations, Nicole, that really rings true for so many of our young people. That's a moment that it's really, you really can't recapture that, right? That's something that they are going to have to grieve. And no matter how many virtual graduations we have and, and online speeches, it, it just isn't the same moment that many of us had the opportunity to experience and we walked in cap and gown that on that special day. Father, mm -hmm. uh, speaking of colleges, you have the unique perspective of campus ministry. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the field. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely to Nicole's point and some more of those. Uh, and I remember on the, on the eve before the, the president of Yale announced that we would be moving entirely online for the remainder of the semester and our students were on spring break at the time. I was, you know, scheduled going in to do our first live stream mass because um, a member of our team had been exposed to COVID-19. So we were all in quarantine, had to cancel public masses a week before the rest of the Archdiocese of Hartford. Um, and I had, you know, had my homily prepared, was going to speak to the reality, but then all of a sudden I was like struck. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I thought back to my senior year in college or what it was like, you know, not only, you know, not only graduation, but even other things like that senior spring as, a, as an athlete um, or that final recital or theater performance or the, the final paper, your life's work culminating up to that point. That's a lot of stuff. It, it's, it, it's huge. And um, I remember one you know, a writer in the Yale Daily News, a student senior at the time, um, Adrian Rivera, wrote, you know, it's not that this was kind of a gradual 
you know, okay, we're going to lose this stuff. You said he wrote, it was wrenched from our arms. And so that was just like, yeah, that, that, that is a, it's a sense of trauma that, that we want to, you know, we have to kind of sit in that place with our students and then gradually together move through it, right? You know, the, the, it's the, the Paschal mystery, you know, you plunge down into the darkness and then you know, together kind of climb out, climb through that. One other point I would say is uh, one thing that, you know, concerned me that night, you know, preparing my remarks, out of all these students who come to college and it's like you find your, your friend, you, you grow into yourself in a huge way. And, and that, a lot of that is done in relationship with various types of friend groups and safe spaces. Um, I thought of, you know, members of our LGBTQ community um, and other um, members of other marginalized groups. You know, this is their safe place in their friend group. And now they're going to be in various types of homes and communities that where they may not have that experience of safety and comfort and, you know, um, so ministering to that place, right? Uh, yeah, and and now uh, definitely as it was also also mentioned among our younger adults, you know, out in the workforce, you know, even our college students, those applying to college, and, and those who may be considering not coming back for next year because of the financial impact on it, they may have to work for their families now. So just some other thoughts, you know, as we try to pray and and walk through this with them. Yeah. Well, you all have defined the the, the challenges very well. What are some of the opportunities that you're seeing out in the field? What are uh, we've seen a lot of innovation, certainly around technology. Thank thank God this happened. If there was a blessing, it happened today and not maybe 20 years ago. My kids asked me the question, well, what would have happened for you, Dad, if this happened to you in high school? Well, <laughs> the world would have shut down back in the 80s. Yeah. But here we are in 2020. And, and thank God we have all these these blessings of technology. How are you seeing people adapting and, and what are the opportunities for young adults in this in this climate? Yeah, well, I think you know, in in terms of a a generation that's nimble with technology already, that's used to uh, new technology, adopting new technology very quickly. I mean, we were kind of prepared for for this in a certain sense. Um, uh, you know, I know just kind of my own engagement with friends. I mean, everything has gone online from uh, you know wedding showers to. Um, uh, trivia nights to uh, get-togethers with friends to I mean everyone's gone to 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 video calls for anything and so we've we've gotten creative I think and um, maybe to some extent started to um, accept that this is a, a new reality that we're going to experience for a while perhaps off and on but that probably will experience for a while um, so I, I think the fact that we were kind of already used to adopting new technologies, helped us um, jump right in when it came to shrinking five years worth of, or 10 years worth of technology innovation and forward thinking into like a two or three month period as these companies just leaped forward and started offering new ways for us to better engage with one another. So I, I think that played to our strength for sure. Yeah, including the church has had to jump into that quickly too. And it's been, you know, like, like, Technology, depending on the circumstance of your local congregation, your your, your local area, um, technology, you may have had a better or worse engagement already with technology. Well, this is forcing all of us to kind of move in that direction uh, to make, make sure that we're, we're there. But I think another opportunity that I've seen, and I think that technology affords it, is it's lent to some intergenerational dialogue. Um, because of the fact that like, and, and, and I, where I see, I'm very uh, enthused about many young people who are stepping up not only for technology, but also taking a step up to support um, their elders. Um, many young people today are very conscious that this 
particular uh, pandemic has had a significant impact on the elderly population. And young people have been at the forefront of taking care of their parents, their grandparents, um, their great grandparents, um, that they've, and, and they've used technology as a way to connect with them. You know, I think many, I, I've heard of many young adults, um, even myself, having more opportunities to have conversations with, with their parents and our grandparents because of this. Um, there's more occasions for that. We're checking in a lot more. Um, that, that infamous call you never made to mom, um, you know, I think now it's a little more prevalent. People want to connect intergenerationally and young people are at the forefront. They know the technology. They're even kind of sharing with their grandparents. Okay, so here's how you click on the link to get to our video conference or yeah, grandma, do this, don't, don't hit that, do this. And really guiding all generations through this um, has been a wonderful gift. So I think that one of the opportunities has been a little bit of an intergenerational. And then in the homes, of course, for many people, I hate to use the word forced, but they may be kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're locked in with their, all generations of family under one roof, which has caused some intergenerational dialogue to happen, not just technologically, but but personally and learning where you are in that space and 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 and, and understanding how to navigate those relationships interpersonally within your family, I think has happened. And so the domestic experience, um, which for a faith perspective, the domestic church has grown. Um, but that's an opportunity. I think the intergenerational aspect is something that I'm, I'm kind of excited about. And again, I think that leaped us forward because that was something that we needed to tend to before this, that I think we've pushed forward now in unexpected ways. As Paul says, the domestic church is one of the, the great, wisdoms of the church. And the truth here is that the church already has everything it needs to tend to the people of God in this crisis. The church is equipped to survive everything that has ever happened to it and to meet every challenge with with great gifts. I mean, these moments of Uh, What excites me is hearing parishes and other ministries who have jumped into the fray of figuring out how to um, catechize and equip people, especially young people, with um, the wisdom of different devotionals, of different prayer practices, of different connections to Catholic social teaching in these moments, of, of giving roadmaps of what you can do to stay connected in your community and to stay connected if you are, to grow more deeply or to plant the seeds of faith if you need it. I think that uh, the church has this this massive toolkit. And what's been great is to see the way people have plugged into that. And whether it's through Zoom, whether it's through GoToWebinar, uh, Facebook Live, you know, live streaming masses, priests doing fireside chats, whatever the thing is, it's very exciting because the church is proving that we have the capacity to move forward using the gifts that we already have, that we don't actually have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to maximize the tools that we already have. You know, it's making me think, Nicole, about the fact that, like, in a way, our church was founded as a church in social distancing. I mean, if you think about the Acts (laughs) of the Apostles, a lot of home churches um, you know, there was that isolation, uh, the fear that sometimes was there in those 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 home churches. So in a way, we've kind of always sit from our very beginnings. I mean, we're, we're right now in the Ascension and Pentecost time frame. I mean, this is we were born in quarantine. And so we've always had these tools. And uh, it's nice to kind of get back to that, that 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 local community church that we've had. So agreed. 
I think at the same time, it also makes me think of, you know, I'm thinking of Paul's letters, for example, and, and teaching various groups spread out all over the place, you know, of their solidarity with each other. You know, so Corinthians should be caring about what's going on with the Ephesians and want to give to this collection or whatever, you know, as, as, he, as he pushed in one of his letters. But uh, <laughs> throw that out there. Um, but the, uh, you know, my experience with live stream, live stream mass, you know, as weird as it was in those first couple of weekends for all of us, you know, myself as a presider with just the cantor and the organist, um, sure. you know, but also people out there like, you know, mass on TV What you know, what is this? Um, but then realizing, you know, the amount of the, the, the type of people, the wide span of people that are that are participating in the mass now, beyond just who gathers in the chapel um, on Sunday morning. Now we have our alumni, our trustees, people all over the world, um, you know, celebrating the mass through the live stream. You know, again, not an ideal situation, but as 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 one writer in America Magazine, you know, reflected as as we are as we have to sacrifice from the sacramental experience of the body of Christ, you know, through receiving the body and blood of Jesus in, in the Eucharist, you know, what does it mean really to be the body of Christ, you know, spread throughout the world that, that, that social distancing and, and quarantines can't, can't possibly hold back that bond, you know, we're, we're united in that way. Are there any programs uh, or particular uh, initiatives that you've seen that have been more effective than others? In, uh, in working with young people and, and engaging young adults during this time? One thing I'll just throw out there briefly, uh, you know, there was that right at the beginning of all of this, you know, as many people wanted to do, okay, okay, how do we, how do we just pretend that everything's normal? So, you know, moving all of our programming and stuff online, let's do everything on Zoom, but being ready to pivot. Could we do everything on Zoom? Yeah, sure. You know, our scripture groups, our virtual brunch, um, our, our prayer groups, you know, pray in various ways, but, you know, that kind of, when you're dealing with a, a group of people that are that are getting zoomed out or screened out, you know, with all of their classes online and everything else, being ready ready to pivot and do more one-on-one type ministry and find other ways to, you know, check in. Um, one thing that we found is are things like message boards and sending prayer petitions and um, reaching out, connecting different members of the community, young people being connected with a healthcare provider, shooting them an email and saying, "Hey, I'm praying for you today." That kind of thing. You bring up well, a great point, Father. Um... And maybe I'll rephrase my question a little bit, because I think we all had one mindset going into this pandemic. Maybe this is a short term thing. Maybe we're going to be back in two or three weeks. But as the clock rolls on, we see that this is a longer term thing and it could even certainly affect us in the fall and and, and even into next year. Um, How is your thinking about this and about your ministry evolved during the last couple of months for any of you? One thing we've talked about a lot in the Archdiocese, especially in our office, which deals particularly with faith formation, youth and adult ministry and and the like in parishes, is that we have reached a point where the way we've always done it simply cannot survive. And we've talked for a long time, I think, in the life of the church about the phrase, the way we've always done it. And at different stages of our life as a church, we've tried to put that phrase aside and tried to put that phrase aside and tried to move past it. And we think about it, especially with, you know, strategic planning and things like that. But the reality is now we've actually hit the wall, right, where we can no longer proceed in the way we've always done it. The Holy Spirit has, uh, in God's divine providence, given us that hard stop that we truly cannot proceed in that way. But that's a great gift and an opportunity. So we've been really trying to encourage any ministry in the archdiocese to get creative, to think outside the box, to try new things and accept the fact that it might fail as you define failure and success and keep trying again, because 
we can no longer just wait for this to end. We can no longer just assume that we'll be able to go back to our regularly scheduled programming on the other side of this because we don't know what the other side of this is and we don't know what that's going to look like. So that setting aside of whatever preconceived notions and inhibitions we had in any kind of ministry, in any kind of functioning in the life of the church is, is the moment that we're in. We're in that moment of crux. Um, but I think that is a real gift. And we are trying to encourage anyone in ministry to see it as, as a great grace that we can do that, not to be held back in fear. Yeah, we've definitely had to rethink just thinking about my work at Young Catholic Professionals. You know, we went from exclusively in-person events and then, you know, other kind of more one-on-one or small group interactions that were mostly in-person as well. And then we shifted to, you know, what can we offer all this online, as Father said? Um, and, And a lot of it we can, but the screen fatigue is definitely real. So an hour or an hour and a half event now is too long. Um, so we're we're shifting um, toward kind of short form video content, um, targeting specific needs of our members um, so they can have more small digestible t- chunks that they can um, actually kind of engage with in a, in a shorter way. Um, now, that doesn't answer the question of engaging with other people yet, um, but we found that in terms of sharing kind of how to address some of the unique needs that you have um, that some of these short short form videos can really be helpful. Um, we did, did a survey of our member base and we found that um, about 20% of them are unemployed, um, you know, laid off, furloughed, or have had a decrease in salary benefits or, um, you know, some kind of change being required to take PTO and things like this that can really, really impact um, your work, but um, they've told us that they're still interested in professional formation. They're interested in help with their resume, with LinkedIn writing, with, um, you know, with kind of online networking opportunities, with engaging with um, new job opportunities through job boards, et cetera. Um, And then it's interesting, actually, the number of people that um, said they were interested to learn more about starting their own business. Um, I kind of wonder how much this is going to affect entrepreneurship, um, people that have always said, oh, I have this great idea, but there's a lot of risk associated with leaving my job. So I do wonder how much it's going to shift people's thinking around, well, if I don't have a job, I might as well try this out. Um, And the the survey results showed that there were, I think it was over 10% that were interested in kind of some support from how to put a business plan into place for things along those lines. Um, I think also uh, last item that we kind of took away from engaging with our members in terms of their needs is a desire to um, also learn how I can better work within this environment. I think there's a lot of creativity that young people today can bring into their companies. I mean, companies um, like churches and, you know, every organization is having to creatively address unforeseen challenges, things we've never experienced before. And I do think that that this generation is poised to creatively help address some of those. And we need to have the confidence to step forward and come up with some of those out-of-the-box solutions that you mentioned, Nicole. Like we can be the ones to help lead these organizational changes and shifts that need to happen. And so I think we have to kind of empower young people to step forward and take a little bit of a risk and maybe be wrong a couple times 
to be able to add that value to the world today. The other thing I'm, I'm, I'm noticing too is that this crisis is kind of where I think it's successful is where the more one-on-one ministry, because when you were at live events and you had live gatherings, you could, you could speak and you could do a, you could, you could minister to a group. Um, it was very easy to do that. You had this crowd that you could get, but with the online, because it, just like we're doing here, everyone's kind of waiting their turn, you know, to, you know, like I want to say something, but it's that, you, you know, you listen individually to people and that's what the online, ironically online has the potential. And when it does work allows for that one-on-one mentorship and accompaniment. Um, and I think that's been, and it's, it's tough because you, you initially asked the question about what programs and actually it's the lack of programming in the more one-on-one mentorship that actually I think has um, it's 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 probably not going to be seen because you can't you you, you can't programize um, uh, that's not even a word uh, you, you can't make it just <laughs> but it, you can't do that with one-on-one mentoring but I think that's what's succeeding and I think what Peter was talking about the notion of you know how can we how how can older um, adults in the community accompany those entrepreneurial minds? How can they say, "Here's what I've learned"? And um, so, I mean, I think in, in an opportunity for us in churches, how do we mentor people through not just their spiritual lives but also their professional lives, um, their domestic lives? How do we accompany them through those kinds of things? I think that there can be older Catholics in the community, older Christians in the community who are um, perhaps in that business world who can walk with the young person who's trying to start their own business and from a, you know, and, and, and kind of guide them through that process. So this is kind of giving us an opportunity to do that. So I like the one-on-one mentorships that I think are emerging from this pandemic that we're a lot, we're, and, and te- ironically, technology is allowing us to get a little more personal, which I, I never thought I would be able to say that, but it, it, it has, because of the fact that we all kind of have our own square within our whatever technology we're using, you you have to take that time to listen to that. I love I love um, the theme I'm hearing emerge from this is kind of an it, not just about young adults, but an intergenerational or multi generational approach to young adult ministry. Paul, you started our, our our webinar here talking about how young people are helping their grandparents get online. And now we've moved to perhaps a different model where professionals who are established in their career could be offering a leg up to those who are young adults who who need that kind of mentoring. I, I love I love that. Father Ryan, how about you? Sure. One uh, one program that we have had here at STM that we uh, do in partnership with the uh, leadership roundtable is called Esteem, engaging students to enliven the ecclesial mission. Um, so it's it, it's a model that our undergrads and grads participate. They're, they're linked with some type of a mentor from uh, the STM community, whether from one of the um, one of the graduate schools or a professional that in, in a field that they may be interested in. And basically, it's it's both a both a spiritual and a, and and kind of a professional formational relationship. Um, and they follow that program uh, for one year. And we know that those relationships have have been maintained even well after graduation. And so that's something that we usually um, that begins in the fall and culminates in the spring. But those uh, those relationships have continued even after uh, in, in the experience of this pandemic. And and we hope to find ways to kind of expand that too. But that's just kind of one model of uh, that we use here at, at STM uh, 
esteem with leadership roundtable um, of mentoring. I guess you can um, pro you you can make into a program this mentor. So I take that back. You can programize mentorship, and 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 Father Ryan has shown us exactly how that works. So thank you. That's exactly right. <laughs> We're working on it. Both <laughs> <laughs> and. Let me read a couple of questions that are coming in here while we're while we're talking. Um, first one is uh, from Donald. Peter, great to meet you. How many members do you have and how many chapters are in your organization right now? So we have 21 chapters across 13 different states currently. So um, we continue to, to grow and have a lot of interest from other cities that are sort of in the works in an early formation stage. Uh, like our St. Louis and Atlanta chapters, which are not quite up and running yet because we can't host a live kickoff event to kind of bring the community together um, and start their chapters. So trying mm -hmm. to get creative there. Um, we have in, in 2019, for example, we had about 10,000 uh, members that engaged with our chapters. Um, and, you know, the, the hope is that um, we can continue engaging them through not just kind of events, um, to, to Paul's point, just kind of program, programatizing or programizing, whatever word we're using these days. Uh, You've coined it right here on this webinar, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> there you go. We'll see it in the dictionary next year, right? That's, That's how this it. works. I think you can just add <laughs> words now. So, uh, But really looking at the, the deeper in-between formation that they can receive through things like mentorship and um, spiritual guidance and, um, you know, engaging with, with, uh, with the coaches and the types that have come before us that they can learn from. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting that, um, some of them have engaged with our virtual offerings. Um, and a lot of them are just really kind of poised and excited about being in together, uh, in person again soon. So we're going to start looking at maybe testing an event here or there in this summer in person, as state law will allow um, and seeing if we can slowly get back to small group gatherings at least. Mm -hmm. Terrific, thank you, Peter. Um, another one of our guests uh, asked a question um, and, and they work at a parish. Do you have any recommendations on how a parish during this time could be doing a better job of engaging young people uh, in their parish community? Any specific examples that you can offer? Um, so I think one that bears mentioning, and it, it's something that engages young people, but really engages everybody, which is how most good ministry practices work, mm -hmm. is that really strengthening your digital presence. Mm -hmm. Because what we knew before the pandemic is when young people, especially young adults, were looking for a parish to go worship on a Sunday, right? They've decided they want to go to mass. If they click on the website and can't find your mass time, can't find a functioning website for your parish, it takes them a hundred clicks to get the two seconds of information they need, you lost. So we knew that before the pandemic. And now what we've seen is that Magnified. this pandemic <laughs> has only amplified the need for a strong digital presence. And it doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, an Oscar award-winning live streamed mass with every bell and whistle that you can find. It doesn't mean you have to offer every single thing that your parish ever did digitally. But if you're being authentically your parish, doing the things that set you apart as a parish family of faith, and doing them online really well, that will draw not only young people, but that will draw people from the broader community. We've seen that across dioceses. Uh, somewhere there's a doctoral dissertation for some communications professional on the other side of this in terms of the data engagement. And we know that 
young people are asking and have always been asking the big sort of vocation discernment questions in a secular context. And that has not diminished in this time of social distancing. Young people are still asking, what's my purpose? How can I make an impact on the world? And we see that in these, these great stories of how people are engaging in their communities in this time. So just so we know young people are going to be asking those questions and seeking to engage spiritually in their own ways, in their own times. And so we have to make sure that as a church, we're there in the digital sphere, ready ready to catch them because we can't count obviously on them being able to walk into our parish buildings on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. So my first tip for any parish, as we've been talking about spiritual engagement of folks in this time, but especially young people is that digital presence has to be as strong as you can make it while still being authentically your parish self. And coupled with that, I think that one of the other things you could possibly do is um, in engaging the, the first of all, some of the active young adults who would normally be active in the community, inviting them and their gifts to help the parish. I think the technology is one, one way that you can say, you know, can you help us with making sure we're on YouTube or we're doing the Facebook Live thing well? So engaging young adults to see the technology. But there are many other gifts that young adults can bring to a community during this time. There can be a variety of things that they can do in the community, and in their church, um, but I think that's one of the steps would be uh, inviting those you do know and, and, and asking them to go a little deeper. Um, people want to be able to do something, especially in this pandemic. I think that people have been wanting it to be able to, to do something, give me something tangible to do. So if their parish invites them to do something, I don't know what it is, whether it's technology or you, you know your needs. But inviting them, I think, will go a long way to making them feel like they're an integral part of your community going forward. And even when we get out of this phase, it'll strengthen that relationship with the church even further. I was thinking the same thing. Basically, two thoughts I've just had is, you know, don't don't be afraid. You know, obviously, we, you, we need to know what our limitations are. It's like, okay, you know, <laughs> Facebook Live may be a new thing <laughs> for some of us. Um, <laughs> um, I'm on the phone because I struggle with this very, this platform right here. So I'll admit that right up front. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, not be afraid. Glad to your father. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, admit it, admit it up front and, and, and then reach out, you know, and, and to, to that point, empower young people. Hey, I need help with this. Or, you know, what do you what do you what do you need right now? What are your friends? You know, what are you concerned about? You know, how can we best, you know, serve you work together to serve our community from where you're at? Father, actually, I have a question here specifically for you from Donald. Father Ryan, how do we keep some sense of global solidarity during these days of being sheltered in place, isolated? understandably focused on our own needs, those of our friends and our family. Sure. Well, I, I, you know, I have found, honestly, the words of, uh, the words of our Holy Father throughout this whole thing, uh, Pope Francis, reminding us of our, you know, our, our need for each other, you know, today and today in my live stream mass, uh, Ascension homily, I'm going to quote him, um, in that line where he says, you know, this has reminded us that, um, we come to understand that no one reaches salvation by themselves. Um, we are in a shared global pandemic. We are all, you know, suffering this in various degrees together. We've all experienced sacrifices that we never expect, we never would have chosen. Um, so that right up front reminds us not only of, you know, my own needs, but our needs for each other. Um, we're not going to get through this uh, alone. You know, we, 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 you know, our essential workers, our frontline people, those who provide us a lifeline, um, you know, we need to come out of ourselves, you know, and, and certainly in prayer, 
um, for our own families, for people throughout the world. But it, I think uh, you know, we've, if there's anything that this pandemic has reminded us, that, that we need each other to get through this um, and, and with God's help to reach salvation. Excellent. And we have another question uh, from my friend Dave Baranowski uh, from St. Louis. Our diocese has a young adult ministry that has events for young adults. Our parishes are asking young adults to take part in parish ministry. We're not seeing all the young adults at diocesan events take an active role in the parish. There's a disconnect between diocesan and young adult formation, leading them back to parishes. Have you experienced this? How do we correct? Thank you. I would Anybody? say, yeah, that's that's not uncommon. Um, I think that people are very, they, they gravitate to where they feel a sense of belonging. And so for some young people, they feel that sense of belonging in a more global mindset. They might see it like with the, a diocesan group or an event. Um, they might find a particular uh, apostolate or a particular charism really appealing. And so that's where they feel a sense of belonging. Um, I think that we can't assume that just because you feel a sense of belonging at a Catholic something that you will automatically feel belonging every Catholic something. So, you know, if you feel a sense of belonging, like uh, I would imagine that if there's a sense of belonging in a YCP group, a young Catholic professional group, that doesn't necessarily translate to say, well, if they belong there, they'll feel great at St. Elizabeth's or they'll feel they'll feel great at St. Joseph's. If that community is not doing an intentional uh, work at feeling at, at, at engaging them and involving them um, and vice versa. You know, if they feel involved in their parish, they may not necessarily find a connection to another apostolate or another ministry. So I think we just need to be very uh, um, aware of that. I don't think I don't want to throw any anybody under the bus and say, you know, well, you know, you have to do this. I mean, we're a very big tent church. We have a lot of apostolates, a lot of opportunities, and that's wonderful. Um, but I think we can't assume that there's brand loyalty um, to everything Catholic, that if you're one, if you're doing something in the church, that it doesn't necessarily always translate to everything else. And I think we just need to be patient with each other um, and always intentional about recognizing that even if somebody is super involved in their apostolate, their group, their event, that we may have to start from zero with them at whatever the other thing is. So if it's at the parish, you can't assume that just because you're super involved in your diocese that you're going to be on fire here. You have to start from zero and invite them in and make them feel like they belong like you would to a newcomer to your neighborhood. So I think that, yes, that's common. I, I don't think that's that's the situation he's describing is not odd, but we have to be in, we can't also sit there and complain about it too much. We have to we have to be, figure out what can we do to make young people feel belonging anywhere they go. Paul, killer answer. That's yeah. just, <laughs> say amen to that. Yeah, it's exactly it's exactly the case, Paul. And and you know, through YCP we operate in all these different dioceses and we see that in so many of the dioceses. And um I I don't think it's it's really a a challenge that needs to be addressed by a parish or needs to be addressed by a diocese. I think we all have to find solutions to it, but I think we have to start from understanding our demographic. And this is a, the most mobile generation in history, right? We, we travel more, we, uh, we move around more, we change jobs more, we, we move and change a lot and it's very rapid. And so if that's the case, then we're going to be bringing that thinking into our interactions with with a parish. Um, I mean, we we bring that thinking into into all areas of our lives. So um, that concept, that model of um, you know me and my family have our parish, 
um, or me as a single um, young person has my parish. Uh, I think I have one parish maybe that I get one thing and another parish that I get another thing. And it kind of depends on which part of the city I'm in with my friends on Saturday or Sunday. And I think we have to start shifting to um, let's offer the people that are in front of us what they need um, or try and understand that. It starts obviously with the sacramental life and then it, it kind of can grow out from there depending on our resources and the needs of our community. But I think we have to be okay with the mobility and okay that the metric of success can't just be number of young people that come back to our parish or back to our young adult group. Um, it's almost like it, we have to measure it more based on the quality of that interaction. Are we helping them with whatever it is that they came to us for? And then it's okay that they may go to you know, a diocesan uh, event and then they may go create their own small group with their friends instead of coming to our parish's young adult small group. Um, but maybe we can just be a stepping stone for them. And I think we have to be globally minded, like just like the young people are globally minded, they think bigger than our parochial experience. Young people are thinking globally. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is working with each other. So if you're a leader in your community, in your parish, reaching out to the leader of the apostolates or the diocesan groups and being in relationship with them as leaders, um, recognizing that, you know, and, and you may have a case where, you know, if you're a leader in a church, in a parish, and you're talking to a leader in an apostolate or a diocese, you might talk about the fact of, yeah, I saw Jim here, and yeah, he was here last week, and, you know, yeah, he's going there, and I saw him around, and, you know, but, you, but I think having, we as leaders need to have as much a global mindset. I mean, we're Catholic. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that defines us as a Catholic, is that we're universal, but we sometimes act very parochial um, and very, uh, very congregational as opposed to thinking universal um, and, and work with each. And, and I think we just need to work with each other um, as leaders as well. And that I think will go a long way and, and might make the connection. So if they're always doing the stuff over there, maybe having a, a relationship with that leader might make the, the transition. Um, so if they were involved in YCP, for instance, but they're not involved in their parish, me having a conversation with, with Peter or, or whoever the chapter leader is, would be good so that Peter can say, oh, yeah, you should talk to Paul. He's and, and by the way, no, no worry about the illusion of Peter and Paul here, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Paul, you're, you're right on there with the Gospels. Go for it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, by the way, in the whole cliche of robbing Peter to pay Paul, I always make out really good. I love it. <laughs> it's working for you. Keep going with it. <laughs> And hey, I just like figuring out over here. So, <laughs> so I have a. Uh, so let's let's just talk for a moment. I have a couple more questions, but one question I wanted to ask is uh, just your thoughts on the reopening of parishes and the impact that's going to have on our communities. Uh, how um, how do we see young adults? Uh, and, and this really covers a multi-generational aspect, right? We have seniors who are going to be a little bit afraid of coming back, you know, after being sheltered in place and for, for good reason. They're in the higher risk category and we have younger generations. So we hope that they're going to come back, right? Because many have gotten used to the idea that I can just turn on Father for Mass anytime I want on Sunday. And, and is that, isn't that good enough? So what are your thoughts about should there be a welcome home, you know, mass or a welcome back or a welcome back plan. And how does that, um, how does that work with a young adult ministry plan? What are your thoughts? 
I'm going to I'm going to throw something out there. Uh, this is something that's been kind of weighing on 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 my mind a lot. Is you know, is the Archdiocese of Hartford here? We're we're planning you know when when we're going to have a gradual reopening of the Archdiocese is here in Connecticut on May 20th. The governor just announced the reopening of the state in a gradual way. One thought is this is going to be a this is going to be in a way a Catholics come home type moment, and it's like what kind of home are they going to be coming to? Um, I you know I've looked at various types of guidelines and precautions and. Yeah, they are. They are. They are pretty serious, um, and we're going to have to be very, very careful and and thoughtful about how we bring people back and observe the appropriate numbers of those who come back. You know, it may require multiple. Um, you know, maybe even a busier mass schedules. You know, more more masses with smaller groups, and attentive to the fact that people are coming. Those who come back may have fear and anxiety, and some may may absolutely not. Like like many people have kind of entered into the reopening phase uh, with a great deal of enthusiasm and probably you know a little bit of boldness. We here just to locally, you know, we follow certainly the state of Connecticut and local New Haven community guidelines and the archdiocese, but also we're looking at Yale University as they plan to make you know a decision as to whether they're going to bring this, you know, when they're going to bring the students back and what that might even look like. Lots of ways to consider it and implement these guidelines and how how we're going to be welcoming them and being patient with each other, um, but also be seeking to assure the health and safety of everyone. That has to be number one, I think. Sure. Well, I just want to jump on what Father Ryan was saying. One of the words he used was patient. And the document that, that Nicole and I were talking before that Pope Francis uh, gave to young people, the, the very last paragraph of that document, Pope Francis pleads with young people to be patient with the church, to be patient with each other, really. We need that boldness, but we also need your patience. I think it's very easy in this to get impatient with each other. I mean, we're all on edge. We've all been we're all suffering a little bit of cabin fever. We've all been, you know, there's there's anxiety. There's there's things have been taken away from us, and so there's there there there's a there's a little bit of an on edgeness. And I think that, I think one of the things I think in in the reopening is I think that we as a church need to be preaching is we need to be preaching patience, uh, patience, kindness, and solidarity with one another. Not everybody, as I'm learning, not everybody is on the same page in terms of how fast we should reopen, what we should be reopening. There's there's a lot of things on a political, uh, personal, uh, even spiritual uh, differences between people in how we should do this. So I think because of that diversity of thought, um, I think we need to be patient with each other and kind to each other and assume that everyone here is trying their best to, to do it and not to assume malice. Um, that was one of the things in the synodal process that was very apparent. That anyone who no one should really assume malice of everyone. We should always go in assuming, and, and with with Pope Francis uses the phrase um, to speak with the grammar of love, to speak with a compassionate voice with one another. That you know, so no matter what we are all going through in this reopening process, to be patient with each other. So I just when Father Ryan said that word patience, I think if I, that that to me underline it, bold it, italicize it. Patience is what we're going to need with each other, no matter how we do it. Um, and I think that will go a long way to making sure everybody is safe and healthy and has the requisite rights and everything like that. Just patience and kindness with each other will go a long way. I agree. And I think that um, one thing to, to add to that is that those of us, any any of us who are part of the conversation, whether it's on a parish level, diocesan level, whatever 
corner of the world we speak from to remember kind of what Father Ryan alluded to earlier, that we have to really consider those on the margins as we do this, that it's going to be easy for us to enact plans or to imagine plans or revise plans based sort of on the majority and, and understandably so, because that's what we're able to operate with. But we have to remember those on the margins, whether it's those who are uh, ill, you know, who have uh, are immunocompromised or elderly. Um, but in a different way, I also think of young adults who, at least in my anecdotal experience with young adults, um, do not register at parishes at the same rate as other generations. And so would not necessarily be inclined to sign up for a mass time. I've heard that in a few different contexts as part of some reopening plans. And I'm not saying one plan or method is right or wrong. Like I, like Paul said, everyone's operating from where they are. But I do have some concerns about that component because historically young adults don't register at parishes. So they wouldn't be really inclined to sign up a week or two in advance to go to the 10 a.m. mass at St. Aloysius because they probably would have made in normative times a game time decision at 9 a.m. about where they were going to mass, whether it was St. Aloysius, St. Leo's, St. Mary's, St. Charles. So I think that we have to be cognizant that there are many different types of margins, right? There's those who are on the margins in terms of their health, in terms of their accessibility. And we have to think also on the pastoral margins. So how can young adults access mass still? So maybe it's continuing to offer live streams concurrent with a reopening plan. Maybe it's having room for some walk-in or pastoral option. I don't know. Uh, because everyone's operating from their own context with their own, you know, local ordinances and plans. But I think we just have to keep those on the margins in any margin at the forefront of our minds. Flexibility and patience. Yes. One, one final thought as we're wrapping up this question, probably Jim, um, yep. you know, I've, I've heard again, kind of anecdotally from my friends who maybe don't have, um, children yet or don't have others they're living with or either living alone or living single with roommates. But I think what plays to um, a, a strength the church has right now is that young people that are healthy and don't have any pre-existing conditions and especially those that are single and don't have to worry about young children or, or a spouse or I, I think they're more willing to get out now. I mean, I think they're less afraid maybe of the virus Um now, this is just kind of the, the, the young adult perspective, and it's one subset of that, right? So it's not the answer, because I don't think it addresses the margin problem. But it does bode well that I think they're kind of fed up with being at home, and they almost think, what do I have to lose? Like, <laughs> and, you know, whether or not that's the case, um, I think that it does provide an opportunity where maybe they would be more willing to come out. Um, but to your point, Nicole, I don't, I don't know about the sign up thing. You know, that's, that's a question we'll have to uh, address and adjust as we can. If we make mistakes, that's okay. You know, like, right. like we were talking about earlier, I think we have to be willing to try some things if they don't work to amend the plan, you know, exactly. that no, no plan for reopening has to be set in stone. So if we try something yeah. and it's an unmitigated disaster, that's okay because the church is run by humans. And somehow we, the Holy Spirit has managed to overcome that for 2000 years. So that's okay. You know, we yes, have to be willing to change the plans. <laughs> if sign up, if sign up's bomb, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
So we have a question. Uh, we have just a little bit. Of, we're a little bit over an hour, but if you guys have just a couple minutes, we'll hang in here for just a couple more questions. Um, so, what suggestions uh, do you have around promoting vocations, religious vocations, during this time? Uh, we talked a little bit about the um, opportunity for mentorship, the opportunity for one-on-one counseling and pastoral care. Any thoughts around uh, vocations? Yeah, I, I, I just really want to to plead with our church to just use the wider sense of vocation. With all the unemployed, I just think yes, if we don't, <laughs> we're probably all going to say it together. But if, if we only address the, the religious vocation, I think we're going to turn more people off um, than maybe under norm, normal conditions because so many are struggling with the vocation right now. Um, so I, I just think we have to address the full spectrum in whatever we try and do. Mm-hmm. Including vocation of work. I mean, that one of the things exactly. that you know, the, the, the workplace, you know, how do you live your best self in your in the workplace? How do you truly serve the world to serve others, to serve God through your work? I yeah. mean, that's a question. A lot of people who are now kind of wrestling with their careers are going to be questioning. Now is the time. I mean, you know, that that if you have a time to kind of reinvent and to restart, now is that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've been laid off, if you've been furloughed, you know, now's the time to do that assessment. Is the job that I'm in, is that really what God is calling me to? Um, Is that what I need to be doing with my life? Um, And is there a career that would more meet God, meet the needs with the, the, the needs of the world, with the gifts and the passions that God has given me? How is that, you know, this is that time. So yeah, the vocation of work, uh, the vocation of what you're going to be in life. Yeah. So thank you. Nicole. Paul knew I was I was just so excited to answer that because Peter, you took the words right out of our mouth that we're going to use the broad definition of vocation. But as I, I said earlier, at the risk of you know beating the same drum, the church has the tools to accompany young people in their vocational discernment, whether it's in normative times or in these unprecedented times. We have the tools. And so it's tempting for us sometimes to sort of throw up our hands like, where are the vocations, the priest and religious life? Why aren't young people, you know, figuring out what they want to be when they grow up? But we we have tools and we just need to help equip young people to show them the great gift of the spiritual practice of discernment. The deepest understanding of vocation is tied to our baptismal responsibility. And you know, have, I think we're there. Yeah. And we have this time right now. I mean, Silence is silence and and the, the, the quietness is kind of one of those key elements of discernment. You need the time. Well, I don't know about you, but especially if you, and especially if you, you know, that now is if you, there's ever a time that there's not as much noise going on. I mean, aside from your screen, once you close the screen, I say I, I should I should caveat that because there's a lot of noise when the screen is open. But once the screen shuts the silence that in a way this pandemic has given us by social distancing, we have the silence and in that silence to listen. And if you need a slight bit of noise, perhaps the noise of that one-on-one with that mentor that we're saying can happen in this, I think the silence combined with the accompaniment by mentors, I think will be great for vocational discernment, whatever that vocation will be. Even though it's not the first one to respond, I would have said a lot of the same of what's already been said. (laughs) Amen. We need to broaden our understanding of vocation, something I'm always preaching is that, you know, you are Christians. You bear the name and the loving presence of Jesus Christ in the world. If we're doing that wherever we are, then people are going to know what God wants them to do and and, and live it out joyfully. Um, you know, so 
That's it. So one last question. Uh, what would um, and you could you could pick one of these two to be maybe the the last question, I guess. Um, we're we're coming up here on the summer. It's usually a little bit of a downtime, an opportunity to kind of take a breath. And if there's ever a time in uh, in our history, maybe we just need to take a little breath and say, geez, what does the last three, four months look like? And what is the fall? What is the summer? What is the fall going to look like? You know, what's the best use of that time? And and is there a um, is there a first step? You know, somebody might be listening to this webinar or podcast, and maybe they work in a school, maybe they work in a diocese, maybe a parish. You know, what 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 is what's one or two tangible things that they should be thinking about this summer? Um, you know, th- there's going to be a longer lasting effect. I think we all agree here to what we're experiencing now. Uh, whether or not we find a vaccine for COVID nineteen tomorrow. Uh, this has changed the the reality that we all work in. What's what's some of the things that you all are going to be thinking about this summer and, and in the fall? I think the, the first thing that comes to mind, and it's something we've been talking about quite a bit in our lay ministry formation program in the Archdiocese, is about how you can't give what you don't have. And so this time is uh, ripe for ministry professionals to make sure that they are taking care of themselves, right? We sort of had to drop everything in March and reimagine whether it was in our schools having to drop the entire plan and move everything totally online in our parishes to drop all of our in-person planning and figure out how to reach out to to the folks that we serve in the digital sphere Um, and now we're kind of living here right we've lived here for a while we have set up camp in this weird time and if we have not taken this time to make sure we're taking care of ourselves if the burnout has not already happened is imminent. And so we have to be cognizant, all of us, myself included, of making sure that we're filling up our own cups. So making sure that we have strengthened a spiritual practice that brings us deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever self-care looks like for you, that's a whole nother conversation, but whatever it looks like for you, making sure you're finding ways to do it, to get your sleep, to drink your water, wash your hands, do the things that are going to make sure you are good and full and energized to continue to serve because there are no breaks in this time, right? There's no time. We're all going to take a time out from, from COVID and go, you know, go back to normal for a while and then jump back in. That's not going to happen. Ministries are going to have to continue serving the people of God in whatever capacity we do is going to have to continue. So the intentionality that we can bring into this time of summer, which usually provides people a space in our society to rest and to recharge, we have to be hyper intentional about it, I think, because otherwise we're all going to get really burnt out if we're not already Zoomed out and go to meeting out and screened out to um, really just make sure we recharge. And then we can jump into continuing ministry or uh, the new school year if your ministry is in an academic setting or whatever it is, making sure that we've filled up to give that back. Yeah, I'll, I'll just offer a, a, a thought, but. Um... For, for those who may be itching to, to plan and to find solutions and to figure out what the next stage is going to hold, um, I think we have to be okay with a uh, what, what the lean startup calls a minimum viable product, um, uh, you know, something new that we're going to have to develop or um, revise um, to address the, the world we live in now, that it it doesn't have to be perfect for us to begin testing it, trying it, and then adjusting from there. 
and to Paul's point earlier, you know, we, we do want, I, I think we have a lot more um, kind of openness. The world realizes we're all having to try new things. So this is a chance where we can try new things. And I think we have to be um, not too risk averse, um, but we have to be prudent. Of course, prudence has to guide all of this. Um, so what is, if you are going to be addressing your next step in your ministry, in your parish, in your diocesan role um, as a priest, what's the minimum viable product that we can put together to help address the needs of whatever mm -hmm. group we're, we're looking at? Um, let's not try and be perfect at the expense of providing something sooner to those who have needs in our communities. I would agree with what's what's been what's been said, but one thing that definitely came to mind, um, probably more to Nicole's point, there was uh, the article in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago called "The Science of Prayer" um, about a 26-year-old woman, Jillian, uh, an event producer, who each day now she has a new routine. She goes out and she prays out loud, "Dear Lord, help me to stay grounded and grateful in stressful times. Show me how I can be of most service to you and others." So I would say, you know, get outside, get your breath, pray. We all we all need to do that. So. Yeah, I mean, the reason I'm pausing is only because I've, I had an I had a response that Nicole took, and then I come up with a new response, and then Peter took it, and then I came up with another <laughs> one, and Father Ryan took it. So we're in good company. I've got no original <laughs> thought here because they're all brilliant. Sorry, Paul. Um, but I guess you know I, the other thing too for me is summer has. I've always struggled with summer from um, a ministerial point of view because oftentimes people say, "Well, this is a time for us to stop," and the other, the reality is, is that I, the, the the pastoral needs are not going to stop. Um, in, in on June 1st uh, or on Memorial Day this weekend, um, you know, the pastoral needs that, that that young adults are going through are not going to take a break until Labor Day. Um, they're still going to be there. So I think that we also can't, while we do need to recharge, um, I think we can't completely take our foot off the accelerator pedal. Um, we have to still be able to minister because this is going to be a unique summer like any other. It's not going to be a beach reading summer. It's not going, well, it may be, but you have to be six feet away from everything, uh, probably including the water. Um, so, <laughs> you, you know, you can't go out and do the things that we normally do with summer. We can't have 4th of July picnics. We can't uh, go for big fireworks celebrations because of the crowd sizes. There's a lot of things we, this summer will be a very, interesting summer so and young young adults will be going through it with a sense of loss and grief um, and we have to be there to me I think that this pandemic has caused us to learn how to be pastoral again um, the Spanish word for for ministry is is pastoral and I think sometimes we forget that that is the core of ministry that anything we do for others has to be pastoral and so how can we be a, um, a safety net? How can we be uh, an accompanier uh, to young adults during the summer when it's gonna be a very tumultuous time? It's, it's not gonna be as relaxed. There's gonna be this reopening. And in some places there may be a re-shutting down because the reopening went too fast. Um, we're already actually seeing that happen. Um, so we have to be on our guard um, and don't let up too much. So I guess my advice, unfortunately it probably should have come first, which would have been, because everyone had such wonderful message about relaxation and rest. Mine is don't rest too much um, because we do need to tend the needs even in the summer season because it's still going to be there. In fact, it's going to be there probably more than we ever thought we, we knew. So sorry. I don't, I, there's got to be someone else to give someone else a better. 
last word than that because I've really that that's talk it's about a both and. it's a both and Paul we're Catholic you can't <laughs> both it. it's real bad being the bearer of the bad news you can't rest too much this summer oh. <laughs> I think Paul you're telling us to be vigilant and to uh, to keep keep going you know and that's what we're we're called to be vigilant in our faith and and in our work so nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, Tim, I think what's cool about this conversation is that there has been so much hope. I mean, I would say that all of us are, as much as we can be, hopeful. I mean, there's so much opportunity here. So I, I'm happy go. to be part of a conversation with hope. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, Peter, Paul, Peter, Peter, Father Ryan, thank you so much for being on our webinar today. It was a great privilege to have you all on. Before we go, why don't we just go around the horn real quick of uh, how can people find you and find more information about uh, your organization or your ministry? Nicole, why don't you go first? Sure. The Archdiocese of Hartford's Office of Education, Evangelization, and Catechesis is at www.catholicedaohct.org. So that's my organization and me, Nicole Perone on Twitter and whatever other social media. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Nicole. How about you, Paul? The bishops can be found at usccb.org. But if you want to know a little bit more about our, our efforts that we're doing with young adults, usccb.org backslash Y-A-M. So it's just that easy. Um, and then you can follow me, Paul Jarzembowski. If you can spell the name and you can find me on social media, be, by all means, you're welcome to follow. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge anyone will have here. So <laughs> we'll put a link in our show notes so people can find there it. You go. <laughs> How about you, Peter? Yes, go check out our, our website, which has a map of where we have chapters, youngcatholicprofessionals.org. Each chapter has their own social media presence, uh, you know, YCP, and then the chapter name. So YCP Dallas, YCP San Diego. So um, we'd love to connect you with the chapter in your city. Many of you probably have a chapter in your city. So um, if you hit our website, there's ways to get in contact with our, our staff and myself. And we'd love to continue the conversation and support whatever work it is you're doing. Father Ryan? Sure, St. Thomas More Catholic Chaplain Center at Yale University. Uh, we're at stm.yale.edu, um, and I'm at ryan.learner at yale.edu. And of course, I'm Jim Friend, and uh, you can find me at advancingourchurch.com or at changingourworld.com. And again, I just want to thank our panelists for this great conversation today. Thank you for all you're doing uh, for the church and for young people, and uh, I look forward to continuing the dialogue and to staying in touch with each of you. Thank you again. God bless. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jim. Thank you all. I want to thank Father Ryan, Paul, Peter, and Nicole for being on our show this week. I can't thank you enough for the level of enthusiasm, energy, and the expertise that you brought to our conversation this week. Thank you so much, each of you, and I hope to have you on again, maybe for an update on this important topic of engaging young adults. Thanks for joining us. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and the Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, one more reminder, we have our Advancing Our Church Through Challenging Times webinar series that you can click and register on through our show notes or by visiting advancingourchurch.com. Again, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great week. Take care. God bless and be well.